Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Leadership myths that have been around for ages are killing the move to virtual and hybrid. Myths like people leave their boss, not their job, and employees resist change. On today's podcast, Paul Mastrangelo goes beyond the myths and points out how to offer employees the empowerment, freedom, and participation they need to make your company and your leadership great. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast, where it is absolutely gorgeous today. And on the East Coast, where it's almost absolutely gorgeous, it's (laughs) our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you today? Oh, I am great. Even though it's sort of cloudy here on the East Coast, I must say. Well... Talking about the East Coast, you have brought us an incredible guest also on the East Coast. Please tell us about today's guest. Yes, I am excited to introduce Paul Mastrangelo, who is, I tell you, this guy must be old because he's done a whole lot of stuff. (laughs) He doesn't look that old. No, he doesn't. But when you start reading, business consultant, entrepreneur, author, and executive speaker with 30 plus years experience. And he got his degree in PhD in organizational psychology from Ohio University. And he started his own firm, First Domino Consulting, to teach leaders how to design the human aspect of organizational change using evidence-based psychology, which I love in having read a lot of your stuff. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me here. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Mitch. You did sort of make me feel a little old there. Yeah, I know. But you know what? Well, I think I'm older than you, so there you go. Well, you said I looked old, but I, you know, I put makeup on. Obviously. I didn't say you looked old. I said, this guy must be old, given all your accomplishments. I got 25 professional publications. That's incredible. Good for you. Gosh. Anyway. You are here to talk about some very interesting thing. Well, a major thread is this topic of myths, myths that a lot of leaders perpetuate and we keep perpetuating, even in today's world of hybrid and virtual. So we're going to look at some of that. Before we do, though, could you share with us what have you learned in the past two years, given the sort of social experiment that went worldwide? Yeah. Yeah, boy, that's a great way of of framing it, too. What did I learn? Well, you know, in some ways, the old lessons just have come back, right? So think about when we first started off, right? So we all realized this pandemic is far more serious than we thought it was going to be. And now the workplace, either it's shutting down or there's all these different changes. Well, what was that about? Well, that was like necessity being the mother of innovation. I had it backwards there. You know, it's almost like it was forced innovation. 
So you saw it, like for me, I think about the local level, very local level. Which restaurants survived? The ones that were like, hey, you know what we could do? We could put up some tents or you know what we can do? We're going to put together kits so we're going to have you create the meals that are on our menus. So that there's one example. You also saw as people were coming back to work, right? They felt like, well, you know, I wasn't treated great. And so I don't feel like I'm plugged in or engaged. But of course, you know, I'm not plugged in, engaged, doesn't work on one of these phones. And so what did they say? They said, well, I'm quiet quitting. It wasn't new. It's old. (laughs) You know, it's the same thing. And I think now we're seeing sort of like fast forward further, right? So we have labor unions that are forming and that are active. We have people who are pushing back. I think the headline I saw today was the Disney employees were sort of, you know, pushed back on their CEO's return to office mandate by March 1st. They're like, yeah, we don't want to do that. I think what I've learned is that a lot of the lessons that we've taught or that we learned and we taught, you know, have come back. And so I don't think people realize that. And that's why to circle back to what you said about myths, I think people, they're quick to try to like, well, I, I need to know what's going on, or I need to get a quick fix, or what's someone else doing? And instead of just going, wait a minute, let's just relax for a second and think about what do we know about people who are working here and how do they feel and how do they react? What are they going through? That almost sounds like it's not difficult, but maybe it is. And mm-hmm. you know, that, that's why I think a lot of people the knowledge that they know, they've sought it out, but it's not good knowledge. All right. Well, let's dig deeper then and go into what some of those myths are. And I know you have quite a few of them. So why don't we start with employees resist change and follow a curve of denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The change curve. So let me give you a quick little backtrack. I was going through and looking at change certification, right? So for change management, change products, whatever. And they're talking about the change curve. Well, the change curve, they were talking about that this is what you have to do. And they, what was what was the expression? They called it first you're hit with this change and then you dip down, you're rejecting and you're in pity city. And so you have to get people out of pity city. And it's like, oh, what a bunch of crap that was. But you know, it was one of those things where there was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, uh, gosh, when was that work done? 60s and 70s? Yes. Looked at people who were imminently going to die. And she said, here are things that they're going through. And that got mistranslated into, oh, these are stages that people go through, which got mistranslated into, these are stages that people have to go through in that order, which further got applied to something completely different, like Oh, organizational change. You want employees to change? Well, they're all going to, you know, reject it and they're going to be not accepting it and going through, then they're going to like have depression. And it's not true. It's just not true. Okay. Um, What's true? And what do you do about it? Right, right. (laughs) So the way I would describe it is this. People don't like being forced to change. Now, what does that mean? Because a lot of leaders are going to go, well, but how does that any different? I have things that I need to do. But there are different ways that you can work with your employees, right? So if you say, look, we need to make some changes and I need to come up with this type of an outcome, which is different from where we are now, I'd like to hear from you and I want to start working with you. And there are ways that you can do that. People are like, well, 
you know, I work for with a company of a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, but there are ways that you can get sort of the right people in the rooms with different leaders to say, what if we tried this? This would work. Or you say, look, I want to impose this approach, but I need feedback to see when it's working, where it's right. working, what needs to be tweaked about that. Now, think about that. Not only is that in and of itself probably going to be a better approach rather than a leader who's 17 layers above where the work is, it's going to be a better approach if we have folks from the trenches. But the other thing it does, it brings the employees and they have now input, they feel empowered, and they're helping you make this change. Why would I resist something that I'm helping create? Yeah, right. And right. so I think that's just fundamentally different. And I know leaders sometimes will say, well, that just sounds slow. You know, I've got to really <laughs> slow down in order to get people in. And I'm never going to have consensus. And, you know, how does this work? And and my reaction is, well, it may be slower in the beginning, but it's going to enable you to go much quicker. It's like if you throw stuff on top of the roof, yeah, you'll leave the house quicker, but you can't go very fast down the highway. You've got to actually get stuff in there, pack it well, and then now you're ready to go. And that's right. exactly what I'm going to do. It, in terms of, you know, like I said, I'm looking at my notes in terms of some of the things I wanted to talk about. We might get to this later, but I've had really good success where I've said to leaders, let's try and ask your employees who they would nominate to represent their department or their location or their function. And then this peer nominated approach, right? This is like saying, hey, you know what? I If we all can't be there, boy, I want Ginny on there. You know what? She's she knows what she's doing. Yes. She's not a wallflower. She speaks up. And so, and then the next thing I'll say to leaders is, well, you know, you want to select among all these people who are nominated, select the folks that you really think you can work with. And again, they represent all the different aspects that you need to get involved for whatever the problem is. And suddenly you've got a great scenario because you're hearing things from people. Those people who are nominated, they have pressure on them. Sorry, I did the air quotes, but there's pressure on them because it's like, gosh, I have to represent the people who wanted me here. Yes. And yet I've got to also sort of listen to the leader, figure things out. And I got to bring that back home wherever, wherever the home office is to say, hey, we're trying this out. But that's the type of thing where that works. Oh, I um, love that. And I've just recently was part of a change myself where the leader stood up and so we're going to have some teams, and they're going to come up with making this decision, blah, blah, blah. And here's who's going to be on the team. And as he was going through the names, and this shocked me, but it's to your point, some folks booed. Yeah. When I, was, I expected yeah. high rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very fascinating. And I guess this also gets to your caveat on this point about uh, changing employee is all about telling them why the change is necessary. Right. Yeah. So that's another, it, it's a myth in the sense that's what's missing, right? Mm -hmm. I think we do want to know, hey, how come you're asking us to do this? That seems fundamentally correct. But it's almost like I think leaders have heard and that's it. Once they hear that, it's like, oh, oh, in that case, yeah, we're all on board now. Glad you said it. <laughs> well, and that's just not true because number one, Depending on what these changes are, like, if, you know, we've been hearing the past two or three weeks about workforce cuts, right? Absolutely. So, you know, 
some leader's going to stand up and say, well, here's the reason why. Oh, well, in that case, I don't mind my team being decimated and people that I rely on and doing twice as much work. Oh, in that case, thanks for it. Right? Doesn't make sense. I think what you need to do is you need to be, number one, it's not a you know town hall meeting where you explain to people. Rather, it's got to be some dialogue. Again, yes. some input. And it doesn't mean that a leader, you know, can't say, look, this is what we're going through. I didn't plan on it. Here's the stressors. Or, or you actually had some CEO saying, you know what? I messed up. I thought we were going to be in for good growth, but it turns out that pace is not what, what I thought it was. Okay, that's good. Don't get me wrong. But then the ability to say, now what's on your mind? What's your reaction? Yes. The second thing that I would change is instead of emphasizing why for the entire time, move to how. Yes. So if you now are saying, look, I know we need to become much more efficient. We want to be leaner. And the question is, how are we going to do that? And here's one way that we could, you know, maybe it's this part of the organization that we slim down because of ABC reasons why, you know, this particular part might be able to withstand that. But in these other areas where we really need to emphasize growth, Maybe we don't do that. Maybe we do some other things. What do you think? Will that work? And of course, you go to that group that's being cut. You got to say, look, here's the rationale. How can we make this work? There are ways that you can even try to support the employees who have been cut. I was reading about this one organization where they basically promised, we, our goal for this workforce reduction is everyone who is being cut will walk out of here with a job somewhere else. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to work with you over time to make sure if not here, you're employed somewhere else. How great would that make a lot of people feel who are, you know, survivors, right? Oh, yeah. Friends and coworkers, and they feel good about, I now see how they value people here. Totally. And unfortunately, you might have read some of the things I have where, of course, they're letting a lot of people off at Google. And if you read the people comments they said and yet they're hiring other parts of google yeah and they're not reaching out to us who they just cut i did read that and obviously there's different jobs and different requirements but share that right again what do you think people will react when they see that i mean that's right and here's an opportunity where we can look at do we need, especially in the tech industry where a lot of those skills can be sort of shifted over, have a little bit of flexibility in where you can plug people in? And I say that, I mean, I'm not in tech, but but certainly it seems like a lot of those skills can be applied in different areas. Why aren't you taking advantage of that? Yeah. And wouldn't that save some some cash, right? This is all about trying to, for you know fiscal responsibility and improving efficiency. But it saves money when you have yes. already work there that you can actually either retrain and reapply because they already understand a lot about, about what the organization is. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Love it. All right. Well. Do we have any more myths? Not- oh, yeah. We're going to the next myth. Okay, cool. I can't wait. Yeah, we, we can be going for days. <laughs> I know. I-, I gave you a long list. How about this, Mitch? People leave their boss. They don't leave their company. Have you heard that one? Only a million times. It is unquestionably not true. Not true. Uh, people definitely leave the company. And I would say if, if you want to personalize it, 
I think people leave their senior leaders more than they leave their supervisors. So why do I say that? First of all, how about this? You know, many of your listeners are probably familiar with engagement surveys and there's some, yep. some statistics that are done to figure out, well, what's driving engagement? I would bet like maybe even a whole dollar here, say that because I'm cheap, I never bet more than a dollar, but more than likely the top drivers of engagement are things like growth and development, my belief in the confidence of senior leaders, our future. So people mm-hmm. want what's in it for me, which, you know, that's fair. And what's in it for us. You know, what's never in my experience doing this 20 years, I've never seen a top driver of engagement be the supervisor. Never. If you want to talk research I've done on turnover, same exact conclusion. It's not the boss per se with one little asterisk, one asterisk here. When I did a study for one one particular company and we found that among the lowest performing employees, that's when the perceptions of the supervisor, the attitude towards the supervisor was the best predictor. But think about that. Imagine, right? So Mitch, you're my boss and I am a lousy employee and you've been giving me feedback, Paul, you know, I need you to do better. Paul, I'd be try this, Paul, that. And you're thinking, if Paul's not improving, I've got to manage Paul out of the company. And what am I thinking? Am I thinking, gee, I'm no good? Of course not. I'm thinking, Mitch, you're no good. That's right. Boy, and if someone asked me, I would rate you so horribly. Hey, Paul, why'd you leave that company? Oh, my boss was such a jerk. That whole, like the data supports that, but that's not because of poor supervision. That's because of good supervision. That's what the supervisor is supposed to be doing. Far more likely that it's, look, if think about it like this, and, and maybe you guys have had this experience. You work for a boss who's not a great boss. We've all had that experience, I think, or I, you know, maybe you haven't and you're lucky, but you're, you don't have a great boss. But if the people you're working with are great, you enjoy working with them, you're productive as a team despite the boss, sure. has got a mission that you believe in, you know what? You endure that. The only time that you would say, I'm out of here is because you start wondering, why is this company of mine still letting such a horrible boss exist? Yes. Is that because of the boss? No, that's because of the top leaders. So it, it's a myth that I can't understand why it lives on, but you know there's all sorts of wrong decisions. And I was thinking about this today, right? I figured you were going to ask me, well, you know, what's currently going on? Well, there are a lot of people who are ticked off and they're like, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. And isn't that going to create pressure on the frontline supervisors? Well, this is your fault, Fred. This is your fault, Sue. And they're catching the blame for something that is really not true. You know, Paul, what I'm kind of thinking about here is that most of the myths that you've shared, which are myths, is that they're very simplistic and you can point a finger very easily. To deal with the fact that people are not necessarily leaving their bosses, but they're leaving the complexity of the company and that the company hasn't really created an environment, those are hard nuts to crack. So it's much more difficult. And in the case of hybrid and virtual, it really puts a lot of, I don't know, pressure to create a solution in an environment where a lot of people are dealing with, well, how do I create a good culture when nobody's in the office? Yep. So I'm just wondering, you know, standing on one football, if people are not leaving their bosses, 
Yeah. What should companies today really be looking towards so that the ones that they want to keep are actually staying? Yep. Yep. It's a tough question. So let me yeah, try to it as best that I can. My my first thought is sort of right where I started the whole conversation with you both, right? So what have you learned, Paul? I've learned, you know what? It kind of comes back to the basics. So most of the, how do I want to frame this? Most of the business problems within an organization, I don't believe they're within teams. I believe they're among teams, right? So if you look at survey data, usually there's a lot of positivity around the people that I work with, and there's not as much positivity for everyone else. Now, part of that may be a bias, like my team's the best, everyone else is horrible. And Or how about this? You know what? I don't really understand what goes on there, but I do understand what goes on here. But really, what if there's also an element of truth to that? Because a lot of what happens is there's delegation, right? So you know, the CEO or the president says, here's what we're going to do. And that gets filtered down one level and then the second level, the third level, and everything's supposed to work within the chain of command. Most of the communication and the activity does not follow the chain of command. So I'm taking a very long route to answer your question. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think if you are in a virtual or hybrid type environment, right? So then what are you saying that I have to do here? I need you to do the same thing that I would have said if everyone was actually in the office. I need you to think about the bigger picture, not just the team. So what does that mean then? It means I think hybrid and remote work is going to be a little bit rough because we're relatively new at it. But if we were deep at it, what would change? Well, Let's see, we probably get used to the consistency of where I want people to be online or when I need people to be together for however often that is in the office or remotely or how we're doing that. I probably will understand better what I need to do to communicate in this realm. So it's like, oh, you know, in the office, I was great at being a manager, but now I've got to learn some different skills. How do I actually initiate a conversation about a performance difficulty or a new policy? Or how about this? I like this example. I think a lot of time going back to supervisors, I think team supervisors, they're stuck in the middle. They got to be a straight shooter because their teams know like this guy's full of it. So I've got to be able to say, look, I know this new policy is a little bit ridiculous, but on the other hand, they also have to toe the line. They have to say, but here's what we got to do. Sometimes that's easier, right? I understand that. It's easier to have that communication when everyone's together. I think there's a learning curve is sort of what I'm saying. So I guess my advice would be, and I don't know if this is too generic, maybe I'm not giving as precise an answer as I should, but I think what you've got to do is think about recreating the interactions. All culture is to me is their habits. Their habits that people have because we're working together on something. And I see the two of you, it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And now you're a cue to me to act in a different way, et cetera. And so we need to think about it like that. How do we make that work in a new environment? To create so, the new structure. If even have, who do you want to represent us and have those representatives meeting across the across functional team? That's a great example. I like how you sized up a lot of the things I said. But yeah, that is a good idea, Jenny, because think about it. 
your culture isn't going to die just because you're not physically in there. It's the people are interacting. That's why people said, oh, I'm on Zoom all the time. I see the same people. I've seen people's houses. So they're interacting. But what you said, your example is, well, then why don't we show that collaboration is important to us? Like like what Disney was saying. So, well, then let's come up with some creative ways. All right. So let's state exactly what Disney thing said. They wanted people back in the offices because if you're not in the office, there's not as much creativity. That was their statement. And so what you just said is, wait a minute. There are certain ways to create creativity in the office, and there's certain ways to have creativity in virtual. Figure that out. You know what? So here's another simple example, right? People say, okay, let's get everyone together and we're going to brainstorm because, you know, science says brainstorming is the best way. Again, myth. If you really want to have a lot of creativity, talk to people like emails individually and say, all right, we're going to get together. It doesn't matter if we're in the same room or Zoom. So I'm sidestepping that for a second. We're going to get together. But here's what I want you to think about individually. So now Ginny's, you know, thinking about it and she's writing some things down and Mitch is doing it and I'm doing some that. Now we can put that together. If you have the ability to chat, oh, geez, I can't seem to break into the conversation. Boy, Paul sure does talk a lot, doesn't he? But you know what? I'm going to go into this chat and I'm going to type something in or drop a document in. And now suddenly, you know, like Ginny might say, hey, look at what Paul just put in here. Let's. So now if you're the more introverted type, the quieter type, or maybe just not as confident, a little something in the background can have a big influence. Right. Is that collaboration? Of course it is. It is, yeah. is that an opportunity for that brilliant idea to be discussed and it still becomes something wonderful and collaborative? Of course it is. We're just not used to thinking about it that way. Back are the office to do it. But it's interesting just on that point itself, the tools that we're using coming out of COVID have been found to be so much more, let's say, creative and collaborative. Because again, like, the bubbles that are coming out of my head, the thoughts that I'm coming out of my head. If I'm in a meeting, theoretically, there was no way to share that. Now there actually is a way to share that, which is, I think this is taking too long. I don't think that's a good idea. No one's listening to me. It's true. All those things, as well as Mentimeter, where you can just start showing up ideas anonymously. You know, so those are tools. I've even seen, and I, I, I do not remember what app it was, where I can have a balloon come out of my head. I like to know. Yeah, yeah. I got to find that out. Yeah, just be careful. They might shoot them down. We're getting to the close here, Paul. What are some examples of practices that you've seen that help the collaboration, not within a team, but amongst teams? You know, Jenny's pointing out what you talked about was, hey, let's get a representative from our team to go connect. Are there any other things? Because this run, this one really is the one of the nuts to crack. We know that before COVID happened, if you were, I think if it were, if you were not within like 16 feet of the other team, it was almost as if you were 17 miles away. We know that. So this is nothing different. I'm just, and you know, it's impossible to put everybody within 16 feet of each other, right? What are some practices you've seen to help teams coordinate, collaborate amongst different teams? How about this? One of the ways that you can evaluate 
managers or supervisors, right, is how well do you enable their team members to get access to information in people without you in the way? Nice. So how do I take myself out of the way, out of the equation? So am I just saying, hey, Jenny, you know, you could reach out to anyone. No, 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 that's not good enough. I'm going to say, you know what? I did some digging. It turns out that this guy, Ross, who's over in this other place, he's the one who's putting that together, that product that you said we could, you know, repack it. So here's the email. Go reach out. If you can imagine the org chart in front of you and every employee is like a little dot, Yep. the more that you can encourage lines that go across right. in any way that they want, because the people who do that are the ones already who are the most valuable. It's already happening. Well, how can we make it better? Well, what we got to do is we got to figure out a way for managers, if they're blocking that, because sometimes that happens, because if I'm involved, I must be important, and that's job security for me. So, you know, sometimes that happens. But if I'm able to say, hey, I'm going to be evaluated better by enabling my people to do this. Yes. You have some people who are like, oh, well, you're not just giving me permission. You're telling me I should. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one way to do it. I, we talked about the peer-nominated teams, and that brings people together across. I'm trying to give you some multiple answers here. Another way that I think leaders, so the, you know, at the top of this company, their organization, I think if they were to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set the goal, but I'm not going to determine how that goal will be accomplished. So the classic example in my mind, at taking politics out of this, but going back to JFK, right? We are going to land a man, okay, sexist language, but we're going to land a man on the moon and bring him back by the end of the decade. What a precise and gutsy and risky call. When they said, no, this also occurred in the past and we sort of went past their goal, but by 2020, there will be zero fatalities in Volvo's vehicles. Now, they didn't hit that goal. But it's still a great example, but they did lower fatalities and they talk about that. But it's a way of saying, we're going to do this. Why does that encourage collaboration, Mitch? That was your question. Because now a bunch of people are going to go, we need to get that done, which is exactly what NASA did. For a year and a half, NASA had no idea how they were going to do it. So they had to get a bunch of people together and go, okay. And of course, they did an incredible job at being inventive. So I think that's part of it. It can work yes. Right at the manager level, yes, can work with the peer nominated teams to get people going. Yes, even the way the leader sets the goal and says, "But I'm out of it. I want to hear how this is going to work, and I want all of you to do that." That's going to force teamwork to occur because the boss who got to do this, right? And here's the fascinating thing: I'm sure you've seen these studies. If you go in an organization and you ask each person, "Who do you go to when you need information? Who do you go to?" Yes, and, you, and they get all those who do you go tos together. Oh my gosh, right? Oh, and then other people are sitting there going, "Who knows this? Who do I go to?" You Is want that- to connect those dots, and the virtual reality actually enables that even more. Exactly. So the question that we were talking about ten minutes ago. Well, gosh, how do you actually maintain culture if people are interacting through their computers? It's even easier if you think, because now a lot of that BS gets removed. The walls aren't there, but I've got the computer. I've got all the documentation. I've got all the people I can contact. And it's, of course, I'm giving permission to say, hey, I'm going to 
zap you on whatever Yammer or wh- whatever device, you know, uh, software you've got. So I think it's what we've really seen circling back to your first question again, what have I learned? I think what we've seen is that people were in a comfort zone. This is how I lead. This yes. is how successful. And oh, we need to return to normal. What Again, I did air quotes. No, no, that is the wrong way to think about this. This is an opportunity. And I mean, no disrespect or offense to obviously a lot of people died and there were a lot of things going on. But from a business point of view, the pandemic presented every organization with a chance to do things differently. We're not going back. The world doesn't work that way. So now it's like, all right, then how can I use these tools? Do I need to develop some different tools? Probably. There you go. I think we're going to be there. And those new tools are coming. It's exciting. Yeah, you know, as I'm stepping away from the podcast, I know we're like past the 30-minute mark, and I think we could talk forever because these are, these are, you know, I don't even say it, like, it's really important. These are very important ideas. What I'm really walking away, Paul, is the, the fact is that the pandemic, and it is unfortunate how many people passed away, but it was one way of saying, hey, let people go home, set them free, and... <laughs> The culture, the cultures that are winning are honoring and appreciating that, you know, to answer all your myths, as I go through all these myths, they're all myths because they rely in the source of, let's say, progress and success in one person or from the company. Everything you've shared to me says, give your people the ability to empower themselves to find the answers and you will have a an incredible culture. What's happening with Ginny and I and Paul you're seeing is that the quote unquote pandemic is quote unquote over. And so bring people back. But it it doesn't appreciate the fact that bringing people back was a bad idea the first time. And <laughs> what we really need to do is set them free. And those cultures that have the guts, the courage to set your people free to to tell you the company what to do, they will win. Yeah, It just sounds antithetical to a lot of the things that we heard was leadership and management. So, Paul, you're going to come back, right? You're going to come back and, and we'll, we'll go through three more myths. <laughs> Paul, would... how can people get in touch with you? Well, so, yep, firstdominoconsulting.com is the site. And my email is really simple. It's paul at <laughs> firstdominoconsulting.com. So that would be wonderful. I'm on LinkedIn a lot. In fact, I was talking about that. Everything I that know, was- I, I just answered you. So you could always give me a DM on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. And it was work, I guess. But see, work can't be very fun. Very okay. fun. We're excited, right? Great. Well, Paul, yeah, definitely. Ginny, let's keep Paul in her phone book. Let's get him back on. Three more mess. Three mess every month. That'd be great. I want to thank you, Paul. I want to thank our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. I want to thank you, our listeners. Share this podcast now with your boss, with your boss's boss. So your boss's 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 boss, those who are running culture, right, your company, share this with your family, your friends, your colleagues. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Team Anywhere. Team Anywhere.